It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. look back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me Austin! Oh son of a bitch! What? It's me Austin! It was me all along Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother! Welcome everyone to another big edition of Reliving the War and my name is Nibs Azor, joined as always by Simon Tackler, my co-host. But this week, because the NWO has taken over, brother, Simon and I decided we needed to enlist a third man. And you're probably thinking here, listening on the Grey Wolf Wrestling Network, who is the third man? Well, it's a name that you might know from our old podcast, The Wide World of Wrestling. We have got the big guns in. You might know him professionally as Digital Beard. He is Melbourne's okayest photographer, as it says on his bio, but he's anything but that. He's fantastic at his job, does some fantastic stuff for MCW bands, and many other people have used him for his portfolio, but please welcome the Grey Wolf Wrestling Network, Owen Jones. Owen, thanks for joining us, man. That is like the most incredible introduction <laughs> I've had in my entire life. Thank you very much, boys. Um, yes, the three amigos are back. We ride again. I was just, I was just crunching some quick numbers. When this pay-per-view that we are going through today was it was was on, I was mm-hmm. eleven months and one day old. My <laughs> God, I'm glad you were alive for it because I really thought I thought Owen's going to come on and say he wasn't even alive for this and make us feel yeah. really old. Uh, it was on August 10th, 996. I was born on September 9th, 995. So yes, I was eleven day, eleven months and one day old. Wow. There you go. There you go. And, there I, are... and a Hulkamaniac from the start. Don't you? Worry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so see the good thing too oh it is you were actually there so little did you know in your 11 months of existence that hulk hogan betrayed you and you haven't even been on the planet in a year that's how dastardly he was look i quickly went from wearing red and yellow nappies to black and white ones real quick don't worry <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you spray painted nwo on your like bottle and pacifier but in, tel- but in baby powder, but not spray paint. <laughs> yeah. Your parents were like, this is weird. Why did he write this, NWO? Like this, uh, if I, and blamed Hulk Hogan. He's like, he would put him on the right path, but damn it. But if you, if you haven't actually caught up to date with the uh, Reliving the War previous episodes, you can find them on the Grey Wolf uh, Entertainment Network. That is Grey Wolf ENT on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of the socials and the digital channels or greywolfentertainment.net. And there's also a much bigger archive that's not just wrestling focused. We've got the Grey Wolf Unsolved, which is a cool new podcast that uh, our boss, Nettie and Fitz, do for Unsolved Mysteries. Get around that if you really like that. Plus, of course, the footy podcast and some pretty cool interviews like with Kevin Eastman. Do Grey Wolf need a, a, a very nerdy music podcast? Because I definitely have one to throw into the ring. <laughs> So, for uh, Mr. Ned, if you're listening, call he most me. Cert- we can he, most, he most certainly <laughs> would be. I mean, because 
we need we haven't had a we haven't actually had a good chat on Grable uh, on the Grable network since we actually chatted to Art Alexakis from Everclear. So that's it's been a while between drinks when it comes to music. Oh, actually, Santa no, Monica, I, what a tune! Yeah, but <laughs> check it out all in the archives. It's it's a full way to um, great way to immerse yourself, especially during lockdown. But we're here to talk about Hog Wild now, Owen. As, as Simon and I have mentioned previously on the podcast, uh, we, we grew up in the era of the Monday Night War. You, obviously, a younger generation of wrestling fan. What do you, when you think of the Monday Night Wars and everyone talking about how great the Attitude Era was and, oh, I can't believe you missed out on Nitro, what's the sort of reaction that a fan, a newer, a, a newer generation fan has when you see things like Hog Wild and stuff like that? I guess you're asking the wrong type of wrestling fan because I really couldn't care about WCW or WWF because as you two know, all I watch is Japanese wrestling. So for me, it's like, why is the first ever IWGP heavyweight champion wrestling for NWO? But, you know, whatever. But no, it's kind of weird. And Hogwild really has blown my mind, like seeing so many hicks in one space watching wrestling. It's very (laughs) interesting. Let's get straight into it then, Simon, because uh, we'll, we'll start off with um, who do we agree on that won the first bout between WWF and WCW when we compared King of the Ring and Bash the Beach? It was a fairly neck and neck because in terms of quality, quality-wise, I think it was WWF that won, but in terms of shock value and something that you remember, it was WCW. So we almost had a tie, but not really a tie, if that makes sense. Yeah, King of the Ring held up better. That's a show you can watch for the most part, start to finish, and it's entertaining. Bash at the Beach falls apart throughout it and then is only redeemed by the ending, whereas we just saw International Incident, an uneven pay-per-view, but some highlights, especially an awesome main event. Here we go, putting it up against Hog Wild. We'll get to our thoughts match by match, but honestly, I had to watch this pay-per-view in parts. This is the first time throughout this process that I couldn't sit through the whole show. I had to break (laughs) it up. And can I just kick it off with the intro video? An issue we've had with WCW from the start. How did they have Ted Turner's money and no production values? That was the worst (laughs) opening video I've ever seen. Uh, what I want to, what I want to add to that, I, I've written some notes here about the introduction. I've got an intro video. I now know everything about Sturgis, South Dakota. <laughs> yeah. um, it's a, names may not know this, but Simon definitely will. The music is a complete ripoff of Right Now by Van Halen. Like, <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice rip. that. Okay. Yeah, like that. Like listen to that music again, then listen to Right Now. It's the exact same song. Um, and in cap, in, in all caps, I've written, holy shit, Dusty Rhodes is a fashion icon, double denim, cut-off cut off shirt and jorts. Their outfits were something else. Dusty Rhodes, T- Tony Schiavone dressed like a biker, <laughs> and Bobby Heenan in like a leather suit or something. Amazing. The first note I have written down for this pay-per-view is literally Dusty Rhodes outfit question mark <laughs> oh it's it's glorious but look, the best thing is it, it, it's his cutoff is just like it's like denim vest but he's got nothing underneath and he's got and he's got it like buttoned halfway down so it's just all skin and then his jorts are like halfway up his legs it's he really is a fashion icon mm. but um look it starts off with your, your regular wcw sort of fair where they do a piece to camera, all three of them. The Year 12 media intro, as Simon mentioned as well. <laughs> but um, a back, a quick little history lesson with Hog Wild. This was because Eric Bischoff obviously loved motorcycles. 
this was a zero paid gate attendance show for WCW that, uh, according to Kevin Nash in a couple of shoot videos, it said that the wrestle, some wrestlers just hated doing it because it's not in front of wrestling fans. It's literally in front of Hicks in Sturgis. But, uh, and God bless them. All right, we kick off the Bayview with this absolute barn burner that unfortunately is in front of the completely wrong audience. It is the ultimate dragon. Ultimate Dragon versus Rey Mysterio. Now, Mike Tanay, who is, of course, Simon's best friend when it comes to pro wrestling commentators, and he's shaking his head via Zoom, unfortunately. That can't be reflected on the paper. On the, um... I, one of my first notes is I, I, I echo Simon's sentiments, screw Mike Tanay. Isn't he super annoying? Why is he so he's just... Like, there's something about his delivery. It's like... You don't know everything, but he can't... Yeah, as, soon, as soon as they introduce him as someone from the PW Insider, I'm like, yeah, I don't like you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, anyway. so, so here's a weird one too, because actually Mike Tanay, when he's doing the commentary, actually refers to Ultimate Dragon as the everyone else in WCW does. But obviously, because Mike Tanay is the professor and whatnot, and as you said, oh, he's from PW Insider, still calls him Ultimo Dragon. So it's a weird one. It's an absolute weird one that we see. Oh, this Ultimo Dragon? This signed Ultimo Dragon mask of mine? <laughs> I was all over this like a rash. The viewers can't, the, the listeners can't see it, but I just held up my personally signed Ultimo Dragon mask I got in Japan. That's so cool. It's weird though. WCW took a few months before they called him Ultimo. And what's weird, I always remembered him being Ultimo Dragon. Watching this, I completely forgot that they called him Ultimate for a while. I thought I was the like, misre- yeah, the Ultimate. I thought I was misremembering. It was really odd. Yeah. I honestly thought that when the little nameplate popped up at the bottom and it said Ultimate Dragon, I was like, oh, WCW, you got a WCW. Well done, <laughs> yeah. guys. But then when the the commentators started going Ultimate Dragon, Ultimate Dragon, you're just like, are they trying to rebrand Ultimo Dragon? Yeah. <laughs> they were. When... When did Rey Mysterio lose the junior? In the WWE. WWF, yeah. Okay. WWF when he yeah. joined. Uh, because uh, the, the, the big story is Vince hates juniors because he is a junior. Uh, and uh, yeah. hence Chavo, Chavo Guerrero dropped the junior. And but, um, but this is probably one of the best matches you will ever see. However, it's in front of the worst crowd ever because first off, they start chanting USA at... Ultimo Dragon, which is weird considering the fact that no one in the match, even Sonny Ono, who is the manager, is from America. Yeah, I, I mean, did you notice what Sonny Ono said at one point when yeah, the crowd cut to of, him? That's one of our notes. He's like, American fans are so stupid. He's from Mexico, not USA. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> and the, the, I think the cameraman was ready because it was shot real close. And at one point when they were chanting USA... Someone threw a blow-up doll up through the crowd. Did you guys notice that too? This was a wild opener to a pay-per-view. Also, out of all the pay-per-views like to open with this match, to put these guys in front of angry bikers, really weird choice to open a show. But they pop for everything. And that's the thing and that's the thing like we say, like I guess in when it comes to doing like non-wrestling crowd shows, they'll pop for anything. If it's fast-paced and high-flying, yeah, and like if there's a couple, like yeah, if there's a couple like big spectacle moves, like they'll lose their mind for it. Like they lost their minds for like all the springboards and all, all like the head scissors stuff. They went absolutely burko for it. 
And and the, and the the cool thing was though, like aside from the mild sprinkling of racism here and there towards uh, Ultimo Dragon, he he actually um like they dolled it up. They really did. This was you couldn't pick to, if you, if you were talking about kicking off a pay per view card. This was pure WCW formula, which is just let's get the cruiserweights in, give them fifteen minutes, and let them win the crowd over. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, Owen, um, for you watching this, like growing up, you know, obviously later than we did and watching different wrestling, do you think this a match like this still holds up? Because, you know, we lost our minds as kids watching this sort of thing. Again, I think you're asking the wrong person because this is the wrestling I really like. But I think yeah. it does. I think, like, this kind of, like, this, these are the matches that you'll see in, like, the best in, like, the Super Juniors anyway. And, like, I guess Cruiserweight stuff. Like half the cruiserweight stuff on WWE is pretty much based off this match. Mm. So, so when all, you the, s- all the quick rope runs, and then you got like all, all like the the spring the springboard. Um, I've written here like there was a right near the end there was a drop kick. Um, Dragon did a drop kick counter of like Rey Mysterio's springboard, and it was the most mind blowing thing. <laughs> and now, but now you see it all the time. So it's like like it's cool yeah. because it was like nineteen ninety six. But you see it all the time. I, that was one of my notes. I wrote, great wrestling match at its time felt revolutionary. Now it's just another match. You know, like if this exact match happened on Raw with any two guys, you wouldn't think twice. Yeah. And it's also, it also just goes to show, so like these two guys um, are actually, you know, they're, they're legitimate cruiserweights at this point in time, whereas everyone nowadays that do moves like that, like you can't call a guy like Seth Rollins a cruiserweight. Kenny Omega is definitely not a cruiserweight. Like, that style has just expanded so much. So when you actually do see it, it's just like, here you go, guys. Put the little guys on first. They'll flip mm. around for a bit. And there you go. There's your show to yeah. start us off. But um, I think my last note for that would be, like, I just remember, like, the, fi- the, the finish stint was sick. But, like, the car horns honking, like, for the crowd cheering, it was just, like, it popped me so much. That, like, added so much atmosphere to the show. I think it was so cool. Even with this very early era of WCW, you can tell that whoever was making the decisions knew Rey Mysterio was going to be the face of, which is really, really cool considering the fact that in today, 2020, Rey Mysterio is still a star. And it's actually WCW, one of the few things outside the NWO that they were able to go, this kid is going to be probably the next biggest thing. So let's, let's strap the rocket to him, kind of. Oh, he's going to save so many of these pay-per-views that we watch going forward. Like, as the rest of the card falls apart, you can always rely on Rey Mysterio. My final note, as the match ended ended, and they were going through the replays, Mike Tanay tried getting some final facts in, and Bobby Heenan just went, ah, shut up. And they just cut Tanay <laughs> off. And I thought, thank you, Bobby. That was good. Um, also, just quickly... I like how Ray is already doing, like, in 1996, is already doing the, the comic book character's gear because of Spider-Man gear. Spider-Man gear? Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Also, the ring being double raised scared me. Like, Oh, that really dive was so gigantic <laughs> that Ray did. <laughs> yeah, when he did it from the from the ring, off out of the ring, off the platform, it was raised on, onto the dirt. Like, that's, like, a good, like, maybe, like, 12, 18-foot yeah. drop. And Ray's not the biggest <laughs> human on the planet, too, so that would no. be, like... That'd be like throwing a baby off a cricket net. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, that's how huge that dive was for him. But uh, what, what, 
one final one before we put put the, put a bow on this. We had a little little bit of backstory in the lead up to this. Uh, so this is the first pay per view since that NWA invasion where they invaded Nitro and caused havoc backstage with baseball bats and the infamous Kevin Nash lawn dart Mysterio into the side of uh, a side of a trailer. <laughs> so for for Ray to get the win after. You know, essentially starring pretty heavily in the early days of the NWO. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that that's actually a good one because that's one of my earliest memories of WCW. I feel like Ray was rewarded for that iconic lawn dart shot that he got to pick up the win. I'd recommend this match. So far, I'd recommend that match. Yeah, and the good thing with the network now is that you can just like click on a pay- on a pay view and just scroll to whatever matches on the bottom. So mm. good which is something that was very, very hard to not do when you saw that the next match was Scott Norton versus Ice Train. And this was, well, a simple and efficient fight, but uh, the way that they were, ex- they were ex- the commentators, because I completely forgot, I didn't even know actually, these guys were apparently a tag team. Cause it's yeah, like- Fire this, and Ice. Fire and Ice, just, explode. Yeah, man. They're trying to sell it like this is the mega powers yeah. exploding. <laughs> 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 Can I just say really quickly, just before the match started, Mean Gene and Triple Denim, oh, thanks the cage. Oh, I actually wrote Mean Gene somehow looks cool in his biker outfit. Yeah, I wrote he's too cool. Like he was wearing the denim hat and the denim vest and the jeans and he just looked way too cool. Mean Gene is the man. Looking back, yeah, he's always a highlight on these shows. He's he's definitely the MVP in WCW pay-per-views, but I, I I just I completely Ice Train like who the hell what is Ice Train doing now? I don't know. No idea. But all I know is that my first note is F yeah Scott Norton because I love Scott Norton because <laughs> NWO Japan. But Scott Norton is the man. He also he's still like in 2020 Scott Norton looks like 1996 Scott Norton, but just grey and even more jacked. It's pretty impressive. I've got the notes down here. Simple and and efficient this match, and a lot of surprisingly, surprisingly large amount of psychology because Ice Train's injured here, and Scott Norton, Scott Norton ruthlessly targets the heavily taped up Ice Train shoulder, which is actually pretty cool to see that they're using their their brains when uh, when it goes in this match. Heavily bandaged, but the bandage just like fell off halfway through the match, so he just ripped it off <laughs> and just hit him with it. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> But um, uh, yeah, all I've written for this one is big boys beating the crap out of each other is my favorite wrestling. So for this, I thought wrestlers don't look like this anymore. Just like these no. big barrel looking dudes. Like they were just palette swapped versions of each other. Like player one <laughs> and player two of the same dude, same outfit, same body, everything. I said, it's the opposite of the last match. You know, it's a five minute brawl. But even if this wasn't great, like in that, in that way it was still fun because it was the variety that wcw put on these early shows of like the the monday night war era every match was different and i think that's kind of cool they took a risk with different styles but one note i made and i researched it i never understood as a kid why scott norton's nickname was flash they would always call him scott flash norton Uh, Mm. that comes from his arm wrestling days how quick he would win matches they would call him Flash. So now you all know that. 
There you go. You're the actual Mike Tanay. You're the one that's <laughs> working for PW Insider. That's why I secretly him so hate him because I wanted to be the professor. <laughs> Iron Simon. One, one Iron Simon. <laughs> one pretty cool thing uh, before we put a bow on this match is that this follows the exact same formula so far of Bash of the Beach. You've got your cruiserweight match to, to get the crowd amped up. And then you've got two big dudes to absolutely suck the life out of the uh, <laughs> arena. How dare, how dare you say a match including Scott Norton sucked the, sucked the life out of the arena. I was popping for everything he did. Honestly, uh, Owen... That's just my bias, though. Maybe you've seen him. Have you seen these guys as a tag team, though, Fire and Ice? Their matches were pretty good. I, I was looking yeah. forward to this. I was disappointed because I know these Fire guys can do better. Sick. Yeah, I have zero awesome. memory. Zero memory of Fire and Ice. Scott Norton, hell yeah. Ice train, come on! <laughs> um, can I just say that, like, there was like after the match, there was that little cutaway, like the little the hyping up the Ric Flair match, mm. like for mm. later in the show. One note here is Ric Flair sucks at being fake sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ric Flair being nice is always a hard one. It doesn't feel right, does it? Well, he's he always beautiful. <laughs> he yeah, sort of has. Um, also, Owen, do you find it weird watching? Any reference to Ric Flair being a 13-time champion in old-school wrestling pay-per-views? I find it weird seeing Ric Flair not being a saggy, wrinkly old man. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but what, what I did think was, was really cool, though, it does sort of set that scene for a WCW-NWO battle. Like, he's really put... Uh, and I love how, like, it, it essentially the entire premise of that little vignette is... NWO, I was very cool with. Run your rough shot, that's fine. Spray paint this, beat down that. We're all good. But you had to attack on Anderson. And when you attack <laughs> on, that's when it becomes personal. Yeah, it's a shame okay. the horseman and the NWO never really goes anywhere. Like seeing that promo, you think, oh, this is going to be good. But knowing in hindsight, oh, yeah. they kind of bungle it and never really go anywhere yeah, it's a shame yeah because when you think of two massive factions that basically like one absolutely bleeds wcw and we know we get there was a war games nwo match uh, that happened a little bit later on but which we'll get to but yeah you're right i think it's a very big money angle that they sort of missed out on but um one quick one too as well a wcw merchandise ad that's also left in the pay for you how awful is WCW 1996 merchandise? I think hey, I it's got kind of a cool vibe now, though. I would wear those, that T-shirt and in, the jacket. I would have bought that jacket, that, man. If you were not... Well, first off, if this was 1996, you wouldn't have bought it on because it, it wouldn't have come in your size. <laughs> but secondly, I think that's an absolute lie. You're looking at it through nostalgia goggles, Simon Tapler, that that was a good shirt. Maybe, but it's kind of like a dodgy biker shirt. And also, Jimmy Hart just saying, I've got my hard world jacket and I've got my hard world t-shirt was the best. <laughs> that sounds like something he'll still be saying in a nursing home. They'll be like, Jimmy, oh, it's I'm... time to eat. I've got my hard <laughs> world jacket! <laughs> Alright, Jimmy. My note for that is Jimmy Hart was so cooked during that match. <laughs> it was definitely on something. Let's move straight on to the next match. And at the start of the show, we mentioned that uh, this was a wrestling show that is done in front of Southern Hicks. This was a match where I put down, this is Bulls Meccano versus Medusa. And it's very, very easy to see who's the good guy and who's the bad guy in this and match. This is the match where I message someone going, hey, can I be on the show? Because 
man, Paul Nakano, the queen of Japanese wrestling. She's the best. Let's just set up the stipulation, though. The stipulation for this one, uh, Medusa loves Harleys. Paul Nakano, being Japanese, she rides a Honda, allegedly. Oh, yeah. So the winner of the match gets to smash with a sledgehammer the loser's motorbike. And it was all about bike versus bike. Sonny Ono's doing double duty here too. He comes out uh, managing Bull Nakano and Medusa comes out in full red, white and blue. This is the sort of stuff where 1994 Lex Luger would go, maybe maybe that's a bit too much stars and stripes there. But um, first off, I forgot... um, one, just how incredibly racist the South is. But um, but secondly, you forget how huge of a deal Medusa was in the early days of WCW. Yeah, they had that weird women's championship tournament. She ends up winning it. Obviously, she trashed the WWF women's title in the bin, one of the big moments of early Nitro. They never go anywhere after it, though. That, that's one of the notes I made. I said... This feels ahead of its time. Shame they never capitalized on it because they had Medusa. You know, they had Bull Nakano. They had the relationship with the Japanese promotions. Mm. Um, So you go. Oh, I was going to say, like, the match is good. It definitely falls apart at the end. We have to get to the botched ending, which is a shame. (laughs) Yeah, I was just going to say, Bull Nakano retires, like, eight months after this match, though. Oh, really? Yeah, so she retired in 1997 um, because she started wrestling in, in 1983. Okay. So she wasn't young in the, when, like, she wasn't really that young. Well, I mean, in terms of wrestling. Um, but she just had, like, a massive amount of injuries um, during her career and, like, massive concussions because, I mean, if you've seen some she, some of the stuff that she did in All Japan Women's and stuff, she was jumping headfirst off of cages. <laughs> she was mm. insane. Um, what's, what's also insane, too, is that, like, she... The, the thing that I do respect, though, with WCW is every time they do bring in, like, an, and sorry to interrupt on it, like, but they bring in, like, an outside wrestler, they give them their full resume. Like, they'll yeah. say that, oh, look, they wrestled for All Japan. They, they say, like, with Conan last, um, in the last paper, they mention how he's so respected in AAA, how he does this and does this, as opposed to, oh, it's this guy. Check it out. Yeah. Um, there's one before we get to the ending because I want it. There's I have some, I have I have stuff to say about that. Oh yeah. But there was one. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, Dusty's like, oh, she's got her in a scorpion, and then Bobby Heenan goes, no, that's a Japanese pretzel. You dog. <laughs> <laughs> like. <laughs> Like I, I, I like I know heaps of people like oh Bobby Hands one of the greatest commentators of all time. I can see that he's also a racist person. Ah, oh, but that's like, that's the time though. Like yeah, that's what it was. You just say stuff like that. Um, he also had a line saying, you know, because I was saying how Bull Nakano is so much bigger than uh, Medusa. He said, yeah, you know, a two hundred pound woman is like a four hundred pound man. And he had to then explain why that is. And yeah, I kind of get the logic in that. But yeah, it's, it's weird when you hear someone say it out loud. But um, yeah, Medusa was bumping like a champion. Like she was like, Bornicano is a legend anyway, but she was making Bornicano look so damn good. Um, and because there was this one bump she took, Bornegano gave her the most monster lariat I've ever seen in an in American wrestling ring. Just took her, her head got went flying over the Black Hills, gone. Yep. It was great. 
And it was cool too, seeing like there was actually a fair amount of wrestling moves here too. Like at one point in time, I think Medusa even pulls out like a Hurricane Runner as well. Yeah, in a five-minute match, there was lots going on, which makes me mm. very happy. But yes, the finish. Yes, let's get to one, let's get to the finish. One more thing before we get there: the crowd was so only into the bike angle and the racism. Did you notice at one point they weren't chanting Medusa; they were chanting Harley, Harley. <laughs> so they were chanting for the bike. It was weird. While they were chanting for, uh, obviously, Medusa here, this is where it all goes absolutely pear-shaped because I think Bull Nakano won. I mean, no, she did win. (laughs) (laughs) I thought Medusa Medusa was meant to win. All right, let's go. Break it down like to... Let's go with the basics of wrestling. To win (laughs) a wrestling match, you have to count the pin. One, two, three. Yes. Was set pin counted and was Bull Nakano the winner? She kicked yes. out at three and a half. Yeah, yeah. Medusa was late on the first kick out. So they redid the back suplex, double shoulders down, and then Medusa lifted her shoulder. But it was too late by that point. It all felt, <laughs> felt off. Didn't feel real. But like, oh, it was just hilarious. And then uh, my, my final is why did the match even finish? Like, because the because the, they never really declared the winner anyway. It was just like, oh, Medusa wins. Okay, beat the rip the bike up. And Sonny Ono then gets a, gets a little hammer and starts whacking away at the bike, and the <laughs> crowd is going crazy. Oh, heaps of heat! It was so good. Yeah, what about though when Medusa finally gets the sledgehammer to try and tear apart, you know, the cheap Japanese motorbike? She could barely, barely hurt it. That Honda was putting up a fight. I did like how in like it was very gingerly sort of hit too. It wasn't like a huge, (laughs) it wasn't like a huge Triple H, like it it was given with care and love. Like, you know what, I might hit this back panel, Mm. maybe. Someone has paid for this, so I want to respect it. But uh, yeah, it was very cool. Also, did anyone else notice that Bobby the Brain Heenan says WCW where the big boys play about 58 times in this pay-per-view? That was, they and, were still pushing that so hard as a tagline. And about 57 times during the women's match, too. <laughs> you just got to keep <laughs> <Yeah>. saying it. <laughs> uh, one was- thing that was weird, watching a sledgehammer used in wrestling, seeing what we've seen for the past 30 years... It was weird watching someone swing it though and not put their hand on it and like oh, run yeah. at it like Triple H. I thought that's what <laughs> she was going to do. Do the old hey, I mean, hand over. Hey, I mean, Cody Rhodes did that when he blew up the um, Triple H's throne at AEW. That's right. Know. Oh, it's true. Actually, yeah. Medusa that needed was... that exploding fake chair that Cody had, you know. <laughs> that just like fell apart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, can I just say the next throwaway segment is the best thing I've ever seen on a wrestling broadcast in my entire life. So as you know, in the age of social media and whatnot, you'll, you'll often see not just in wrestling, but in numerous sports and TVs, like get involved with the conversation, hashtag such and such, join us on the socials, this and that. In 1996, you could join along with the Steiner brothers on CompuServe. I don't even know what CompuServe is. <laughs> so, oh, obviously, what did you think when you saw both Steiner brothers looking like they've just discovered fire in 52 BC <laughs> <laughs> in front of CompuServe, trying their absolute best? As Tony Schiavone says, join us on CompuServe. Join in the conversation. 
Look, honestly, it was my favorite thing ever. The, the Steiners with headphones on and using a computer should just be a cutaway for every pay-per-view ever, even now. <laughs> um, just play that one segment just at every pay-per-view. It was hilarious. That's was a great... Kind of, was serve kind of like MSN or like AOL, like that kind of thing? Like an AOL sort of thing back in the okay. day. The Steiner Brothers actually... using the computers, though, is a great threat if you run a message board. If you're like, hey, man, we've got some tough moderators here. And just show <laughs> that clip. Be like, they're watching right now. These are our yeah, mods. But, but the thing is, Dusty Rhodes completely kills the illusion because he said, they're playing games. That's what they're doing. They're playing games. <laughs> they're playing games. But so even like, you know, and I love it because clearly they're not doing anything on there, but just just prodding randomly, uh, like trying to find the light switch when you get into a new hotel room. But but, but, but I love it how Tony Schiavone's like, you can join, just go WCW on CompuServe. And then Dusty Rhodes is like, ah, they're just playing games. But uh, it's a very cool cutaway. Look it up. It's worth the price of admission in itself. Uh, let's get on to the next match, which is oh. Benoit with the devilish women, the devilish women, as, uh, <laughs> as Dusty Rhodes continually says. Uh, Miss Elizabeth and woman are the devilish women, just in case you're wondering who that is. Taking on Malenko. Again, oh, much, much like the opening match. Great match. Just the wrong audience. Literally, my first note is this crowd doesn't deserve this match. <laughs> They just continuously hate it more and more. And the fact that they tried making this a match that goes to the time limit, then gets to overtimes, man, the crowd was um, yeah. so angry by the end of it. Oh, it, oh the, the, like, the, the, this is the, again, this is the wrestling I love. So I was, I, I was, I was soaking this match in like bread into butter. I was all about it. Um, Had you never I'm seen s- this one? This is one of the. This is one of the one of their matches I haven't seen. Okay. And man, it was so good. Um, Dean, I'm just gonna like quickly run through my notes. Dean Malenko is criminally underrated. Like mm-hmm. I know some people are like, oh, he's one of the best wrestlers ever, but that's like only like wrestlers say that. Fans don't. But he's one of the, like he's super underrated. Mullet Benoit is prime Benoit because his mullet <laughs> is incredible. Um. Oh yeah, I was contemplating watching this show on mute because Bobby Heenan was was like really like pissing me off so much. I'm like, devilish woman, devilish woman. Yeah, that was dusty, 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 killing it. Um, Benoit's deadlift back suplex was off the charts. Mm. He just like had him hooked around his arm, just deadlift back suplex. Um, and in all caps, I have Jesus Christ, Benoit landed just on his head. That suplex. No wonder he had brain damage. Yep. He he literally has zero concern for himself in this yes. match. But it, it's right though; like the crowd was absolutely hating this. In fact, when it gets when it's actually announced that there's going to be double overtime, I believe there's actual audible boos. They're just like, oh, <laughs> boo!" So but, um, it, the match was worth every second for me. That match was incredible. I loved it. It was sick. See, I didn't enjoy it. I've seen it before and I remember liking it and I was expecting it to enjoy it. But for some reason, watching it back, I couldn't get into it. I've seen Malenko have better matches. I've seen Benoit have better matches. Watching it isolated with a crowd that doesn't care and then Mm. watching how little effort Benoit used to put in this era especially. No effort into working the crowd or, or like being a character at all. He's just doing moves. 
like when you watch it with all of those factors, I couldn't couldn't enjoy it. Like I said, I've seen it before and I know the match is good, but trying to actually enjoy it as a piece of entertainment this time, didn't do it. Going on to your um, saying, on saying how Dean Malenko was criminally underrated, he, if you actually look back at the entire WCW Cruiserweight division, he's one of the main anchors of it in the sense that a lot of the big feuds of the WCW Cruiserweight era have uh, have um, Dean Malenko there, be it in his Iceman persona, the man of a thousand holds. He is the man. I know Rey Mysterio is the poster boy, but he's the guy that they build it around. He's, yeah. If if Rey Mysterio is Michael Jordan, then by all means, um, Dean Malenko is the Scotty Pippen of uh, of the I, WCW Cruiserweight. I thought you were going to say he was the Horace Grant of WCW. <laughs> <laughs> also, Dean Malenko, in terms of just their WCW runs, aside from the end where he gets a main event push, Dean Malenko over Benoit all day, every day. Watching mm. it back, like watching all the Nitros back like I've done over the past few years, Dean Malenko has the match of the night or close to it almost every episode. And is the he... crowd is so into him. Yeah. I think that, that that's what's underrated, how over he was. He wasn't just a no personality wrestler guy. Man, Dean Malenko was a big deal for a few years. And mm-hmm. and he got good matches out of everyone. Disco Inferno, mm-hmm. Jeff Jarrett, anyone Dean Malenko was in there with was great. So yeah, Malenko over Benoit for me um, in WCW. I've written this in like my later notes in the flare match, but I've written it here as well. Um, and a lot of people were saying it in the, the dark side of the ring docos about Nancy Benoit. Mm-hmm. She's straight up one of the best managers I've ever seen because I haven't seen her manage like much. Um, that's only been, like little snippets and stuff, but she's one of the best managers I've seen. Yeah. And sadly you put her next to Elizabeth. It's a no contest. It's night and day. Like we, we mentioned this about Elizabeth in the last WCW pay-per-view. She always looks uneasy and like not really yep. comfortable even being at ringside. Whereas woman is totally confident. She's a character. She plays the role. Perfect. Yeah. She was yeah. very good. Very much so. And yeah, as you sort of said, she always, like, she does that role of uh, what a female manager did back in the day, adding that X factor, not just, uh, you know, good looks and appeal. It was very much a, a game. To, your match can be influenced by her presence ringside. But um, we'll move on. As I got to say, too, I brought it up briefly, but what did you think of a double overtime match ending in a cheap finish? <laughs> I liked it. It... It, it kind of throws dirt in the face of the double overtime. Like, mm-hmm. in, I, guess, I guess in like, a, in like a booking behind the scenes kind of thing, it's like, look, they've, got, they've gone the extra mile to like draw the crowd in, even though they only didn't, they didn't care about it, into the, double, into the double overtime. But those who care, it's like, oh, yeah, cool, double overtime is going to be a great finish. And it ends in a minute and a half because it's a dusty finish. It's like, mm. yes, I liked it. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I, I think overtime in wrestling is dumb, but mm-hmm. that is good. What about you, Simon? Um, I'm trying to think of how wrestling was watched at the time. And it really would have been, I want Malenko to win. You know what I mean? You want the good guy to win. And yeah, the fact that he was robbed in second overtime makes you want to see him get revenge. Mm. But yeah, watching it back with these eyes in front of that crowd, total waste of time. It's a good match for no reason, which they would overdo these days. But yeah, I mean isolated i guess it's kind of fun to screw over those fans um we move on to our next uh, next bout which is the steiners versus harlem heat 
And we mentioned that uh, there's a bit of heat towards people that aren't from around these parts. Um, <laughs> yes. One of my first notes is I wonder why Harlem Heat were getting booed in South Dakota. Mm, yeah. yeah. Now, now both Booker T and Stevie Ray have both spoken about this match and how much they hated going there. But at the same time, they said, you know, we weren't going to back down from the crowd. Like you see them jaw jacking the whole time and, you know, mm. like trying to goad them into more of a fight. They were fearless. Harlem Heat deserve credit for the um, effort they put in to piss the, this crowd off. Oh, yeah. Um, can I just say I've I labelled this match the um the 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 battle of the entrance songs because mm. these are two of the best entrance songs in wrestling in my opinion. <laughs> Steinerline. Steinerline is the best. And actually, if you throw all the way back to one of the first episodes Simon and I did of our first podcast, mm-hmm. Harlem Heat slash Booker T's entrance song is one of my favorite wrestling entrance songs <laughs> of all time. It's underrated so because we hear Booker T's entrance so so often, we forget how good that song is. It's a great piece of music. It's great. It was also a very odd remix of it done uh, in his TNA run, but uh, you knew I had to mention. <laughs> you, knew <I> had to, <laughs> you knew I had to mention that part. But uh, look, uh, taking into account the racist crowd, <laughs> which is something that's a very weird thing to say in 2020, this is the absolute it's the hottest match on the card outside of the main event. This is tag team. Like one of my notes is this is tag team gold. Mm-hmm. This yep. is like perfect tag team wrestling. This was great. I enjoyed this way more than the match before the crowds into it. Classic tag team match. Yeah. Perfect tag team. You know who the characters are, you know who the good guys and bad guys are and they killed it. And what's cool watching Scott Steiner and Booker T wrestle like five years later, they would be the final, like, you know, the final title match of WCW's history. Yeah. They would both make it as singles guys. Yeah. Um, I've never seen much of Rick Steiner's work. I'm like all of, I'm like a fanboy now. Okay. Um, I've, I've got a four DVD bootleg set of the Steiner brothers in Japan. I need to give that I to you it? then. It's, <laughs> it's mind blowing. Um. Rick Steiner countering a leapfrog into a power, power slam is poetry in motion. That's one of the most beautiful things I've seen in a wrestling ring. And then he follows it up by yelling, shut up, bitch, to Sister Sherry. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bizarre match to sort of watch here, but especially when you take into account that, like, will you remember the Steiners? Like, most new fans would remember the Steiners for, like, you know, their character work, big boot, uh, big popper pump. And of course, the dog-faced gremlin. But the fact that these guys were actually two very, very successful tag team wrestlers, so much to the point where it's called a Frankensteiner because of Scott Steiner. Like he was an absolute, like he moved like a gazelle and wasn't a power man uh, like he is these days. Can I just say something? It just just clicked in my head now when I, when I've, when both of my notes are when like I have so many notes about Rick Steiner, but also one of my notes is how underrated is Stevie Ray. This is like, this is the match of where one, when we're like one brother on each side got more famous than the other. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Scott like Booker and Booker and Rick, would kill and, it. Yeah. And then like Rick and Steve Ray, just like just chilling in the middle, but Stevie Ray, he was incredible. 
this uh, is another tag team that would, and we'll see this later on as we delve into the war, uh, into the Monday Night Wars, where the NWO really sort of um, split these guys apart. Mm. Quite literally, Stevie Ray joining um, the NWO and then leading the NWO B team. <laughs> and, um, and, of course, Scott Steiner becoming... Uh, and end, uh, joining NWO and then, of course, becoming, like you said, someone, one of the biggest stars in the later editions of WCW and its Turner incarnation. But, it like, taking into account the crowd and everything like that and just the raw emotion that's behind this match, this is the hidden gem of um, of Hogwild 96, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this was awesome. Uh, the only thing that... I, I wanted to get Owen's opinion on this, like, not having seen a lot of this WCW... Harlem Heat being managed by Colonel Robert Parker. Is that weird to you? This Southern gentleman managing, uh, you know, the two African-American guys. It's a bit 1850s. <laughs> it is a little bit. Especially <laughs> so when he's dressed like the Colonel and a plantation yeah. guy. <laughs> it's, it's a bit on the nose, isn't it? They end mm-hmm. up ditching it and sticking with just Sherry for a while, which is a lot better. Like, you know, they credit her with helping them a lot and she's awesome anyway. But yeah, no, it's um, definitely on the nose and something that, you like, if in today's cancel culture, that would be, uh, that would be gone pretty quickly. Yeah, forget well, how, it, how offensive any commentary was. That's the most offensive thing on the, on the oh show. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. One thing, one bit, of, one bit of commentary I had for this match, this annoyed me as a kid, WCW and WWE announcers calling moves different things. The sidewalk slam and spine buster controversy still annoys me in wcw they would call what we would call a spine buster a sidewalk slam they would always do it to booker t and then booker t did an actual sidewalk slam and they called that a side salto and i was like what's what's why is there no consistency (laughs) a spine buster is one of the greatest moves in wrestling yeah i mean arn anderson style like one of the greatest moves Mm -hmm. in wrestling like that's got not, that's not even anywhere similar to a to a sidewalk slam. Yeah, very weird. It it is it is a bit strange, but uh, and you're right. It's one of those things that uh, it's it's like Pepsi and Coke, I guess. It, whatever you grew up with, it's just like no, no. How dare those stupid <laughs> WWF guys name it sidewalk slam? But uh, as we move on to our next little vignette, once more, this is like a a bit of Sturgis propaganda a la Crown Jewel thrown in here uh, where, where we just see more bikes. <laughs> just in case in case you were thinking, oh, there's so much wrestling in my biker pay-per-view. <laughs> well, they throw in some highlights of Sturgis. What about really all the wrestlers just riding with no helmets and no shirts? <laughs> like, that's not safe. I know. I, I've, ri- I've written this in later in the main event, but I'll say it now because they do mention it like around this time. I like how they keep how they're claiming that three that the three hundred thousand bikers who went to Sturgis are at the wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yes. They are, and haven't moved. And haven't, haven't moved. moved they allegedly. said that so much. <laughs> Nobody's <laughs> moved. It's like no, there's probably about five thousand people there, not three hundred. So, you know, he's up, Turbo. What about Medusa's line during this vignette saying, there's people from all walks of life here. 
I could only spot one specific type of person there. <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty vanilla white bread uh, walk of life, I could tell you that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is going to sound really stupid considering the fact that I just labelled uh, the match that we talked about, Harlem Heat versus the Steiner Brothers as the hidden gem because the next match on the card oh. is Ric Flair versus Eddie Guerrero. Chef's, as, the kiss, as the kids say these days, chef's kiss. Mm. This match... Was amazing. My one negative note was only one '90s wrestler wears all orange, and that's Kenta Kabashi. But that's just me being a nerd because Ric Flair wearing all orange really peed me off. But, oh, um, Ric Flair's got every color under the sun, though. He's going to clash with someone eventually. But no, I like this. And again, as I said, like woman and um, Nancy Benoit in this match was like kind of, or she was pretty like important towards the finish. But this match was sick. Also, the lights went out during the match. That was great. Mm, I had that note. I said, what happened to the lights? And then they tried playing it off by saying, oh, the sun's setting here in Sturgis. Like, oh, it's, it's a bit sudden. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the interesting part too is like once again Dusty Rhodes and I've got this in my notes it says and I quote Dusty Rhodes really hates the devilish women <laughs> yeah <laughs> he said it all the time he does this is a, this is one of those matches too where it just goes to show you and in hindsight and a lot of people might say this twenty years from now when they rewatch WWE programming currently but what a stacked roster they had that they can just at, at any whim pull out a flair versus eddie match mm-hmm. yeah it's it's a good so match good. I'll, I'll be honest i was expecting more i couldn't remember this one in particular they have an even better one on nitro it's around the same time they were in a bit of a feud which is which is wild i think that's sort of um you sort of forget that eddie guerrero from the start wcw knew they had something in him like he was working with flair from the get-go this was mm. one of his first feuds in WCW. Um, but yeah, these guys surprisingly had great chemistry. You wouldn't expect it, you know, thinking how we think of both of them now. You wouldn't even think they met in the same era. Very was vintage some... too, to see um, like some classic moves, like the frog splash, the figure four. Yeah. It was just, it's, it's, it's paint by number. It's poetry in motion, as you would, uh, as some might say. Um, there, there was some ripper commentary lines in this one. Tony Schiavone got, um, Flair was chopping, like just chopping the crap out of um, out of Eddie, and then Tony Giovanni goes like a surgeon, cuts through, cuts right through Eddie Guerrero. I'm like, <laughs> so good. Tony um, Giovanni's great. Oh, look, I've never like again, like being being a non WCW person, I haven't heard Tony Giovanni in his prime. Mm-hmm. So good. Um, and then another one of my favorites was when um, Flair lo- like um, low blowed Eddie. And to play it off, um, Heenan goes, last time I saw Eddie grab his stomach and drop to the ground was after one of his mum's chillies. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Look, WWE has done a lot to make us brainwashed and think that WCW's commentary wasn't good. But this team especially, Heenan, Shivani, mm. and Dream, are so fun to listen to. Like, they all yeah. play their role. It's entertaining. They talk about the match and you get gems like that. Very, um, very, very cool match this was. Oh, uh, yeah. The, um, there was a springboard Frankenstein that Eddie did that just blew my mind. Mm. Um, and then you briefly see a crew member climbing up the rigging, and I popped huge for this. <laughs> I didn't notice that. It was I, like when it was when the lights just just 
came on, get back on, and you see a crew member just climb up the top <laughs> of the rigging to try and fix it again. Um, but I've written Eddie shines in this match, and the finish was sick. Mm. This is this is like uh, I know I made a bit, bit of a stink about um, Chris Benoit's match being uh, a cheap finish, but this all had the hallmarks of a cheap finish. This is what this, this is vintage Ric Flair one hundred and one. Oh, it was such a good finish. Mm. What's going on um, with uh, Ric Flair in this era, though? I never noticed it, but in the previous pay per view, he beat Conan. Now he's beating Eddie Guerrero. Was there a secret Ric Flair versus Mexico feud that never got you know, <laughs> off the ground? <laughs> well, he was the US champion. And apparently, from what I've read, the US's greatest threat is apparently Mexico. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> so, what do we think of Ric Flair getting a pin with the figure four? It doesn't happen often. It's kind of weird to say. I'm a big fan of when someone pins someone during a submission. I think it's really cool. That's just me. But this actually, this it doesn't happen too much. But you did see it a lot in Ric Flair WCW matches because you'd have the opponent always on the ground, like in absolute pain. The ref goes to check, do you submit? They go, no, 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 completely lie back, hands and hands. They'd hear the one, two, and they'd kick out again. And they'd all, it was a, such a trope of WCW that you could be pinned by the figure four mm. that when you actually saw it happen, you're just like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. Because it yeah. can happen. That's true. They yeah. did establish that it's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah, they never actually f- went through with it too often, but you always had that. Because remember, you'd have the, the referee checking under the shoulders <laughs> on the mat? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, we'll get to the next vignette, which is the giant talking about being a Hulkamaniac, which is just weird in no, WCW. Consume the f- yeah, go on up. There's a couple of things in this one. I'm like, um, what does Jimmy Hart say? Tonight's a giant step for you, so don't trip up and fall because nobody will be there to pick you up. Weirdest line I've ever heard in my life mm. in a promo. He um, delivered it like it meant something, though. And then you think yeah. about it, you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. It was a great promo from Giant, though, but I must say, and th- th- this, this might just be me, like, obviously not knowing the WC product that well. Has there ever been a less hyped world champion than Big Show? I mean, of the Giant. This like, was, was a weird run. Like, he felt was, like was, a transitional champ. No, not at all. Not at all. Well, what was, what was, this is what's very strange about it, too, because... Obviously, the Giants first match is against Hulk Hogan. Like, I'm talking about his first wrestling match full stop. Oh, really? It's against, it's against Hulk Hogan and he wins the world championship. But the thing is, this is what makes the promo even weirder. He debuts uh, as part of the Dungeon of Doom under the billing of this is Andre the Giant's son. So, him talking about being a Hulkamaniac, one, just goes to show like, Come on, mate. Who are you? Like, who are you rooting for in WrestleMania? Where's your loyalty? <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's it's very underwhelming. This was he's he's one hangover from the age old WCW thing of we need someone for Hogan to beat, but at the same time we need Hogan to beat someone, and we can't get under the giant because well, it's 1994. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I kind of um, I we made this point in the last WCW pay per view. The Giant is underrated as a talker. He was only in the business for a couple of years, as we've Mm. said, but he was good on the mic, but he doesn't really get that credit. He was only 24, like, at this this time, which is wild. I mean, that's my age now. And look at me. Mm. I'm talking to you guys in my my toy room. You're cutting a decent promo here, but a lot of wrestlers (laughs) at the age of 24 can barely string a sentence together. Mm. Yeah. 
it's still bizarre to say this, but you're right. Uh, in terms of when you think of great WCW champions, Giant isn't one of the ones that you put on the list. But the thing is that he even, like Paul White, Big Show, even admits it to this day that like he was very green back in the day and that, um, you know, he's very lucky to get where he was because right place, right time. He just happened to be in the gym that Hulk Hogan was and Hulk's like, do you want to wrestle, brother? <laughs> uh, we mentioned you know, throughout our WCW episodes that it seemed like WCW only cared about one thing, and that was the NWO. Because once it starts getting into NWO territory of the pay-per-view, that's when everything sort of takes a more serious outlook because previously all of the matches just like, oh, we're in Sturgis, how fun is this? Whereas once we get to the Outsiders versus Sting and Lex Luger, all of a sudden it's like, that's right, the fate of WCW is at hand. Yeah, this was I, life and death. Can I ask a question maybe a 24-year-old 24, 24 would ask? Um, why are they kind of putting out, and this, this is a genuine question, by the way, this is me being a, a smartass, why are they kind of trying, like, trying to make it that the NWO like a, like a different wrestling company, trying to like come in and take over? Because the way they're wording it's like, oh, like this outside organization, the there's a different company they're trying to take over it's like it's like what happens like it's like they're trying to like yeah i don't know i found it confusing like, or weird more or less like more or less weird how they're trying to like just say oh it's like it's they're trying to like paint them as a different wrestling company yeah no 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 because it was implied in the early days of the nwo that they were invading from the wwe so they okay. would make reference to coming from up north and they came from that organization and mm. because of a lawsuit, okay. they had to drop it because WWE said, no, you're sort of infringing on our copyright. You can't say they're still working for us. So they had to come out and in a promo say, you know, do you work for the WWF? No. Do you work? Yeah. And so, but it was always oh, okay. implied that they're back for revenge from somewhere else. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now it makes make, makes more sense now. Yeah. From day, from day dot, like uh, at, even at Bash of the Beach, when when Hogan is finally turns, um, all of the announcers sort of go, "Was this the plan all along?" Like, yeah. it, like the entire thing was Hulk Hogan coming to take over WCW, but obviously with the lawsuit changed that. So, and yes, they always do, to their credit though, they always did paint the NWO as like we've got nothing to do with WCW. We are a new organization that's going to take over here and we are going to, you know, run rough shots. Yeah. But my um, first as... note for this one during the entrances, I love the outsiders, but they don't even make it to the ring. They're not even in the ring and they just start Sting's music like the outsiders are two jabroni bloody like uh, job Jones. guys. Like they didn't make guys, it to yeah. the ring. That was weird. Speaking of which, Sting looks incredibly unimpressed with his pyro as he walks out. That was funny. It was like they didn't even realize they had Pyro and he turns to Luger and he's like, huh, Pyro. Like, it's such a weird <laughs> yeah. reaction. And if you haven't seen the Pyro, it's not like Brock Lesnar Pyro. It's not like RVD, one of a kind, bang, bang, bang Pyro. This is default wrestler one, creator wrestler in SmackDown versus Raw 2011. Just a <laughs> kind of Pyro. <laughs> Can I just say, and I think I've said this to Simon a couple of times, surface thing is the best thing, mm-hmm. but he's so weird with dark hair. Surface <laughs> thing for me has got his, his uh, peroxide hair. Mm-hmm. Dark yeah, hair surface is, thing is kind of weird. This is, this is transitional? like transitional sting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, is, this is where, you know, I'm getting sick of... Re- I'm, I want to grow it out. And I don't want to have to... Um, 
I don't want to grow my hair long, but at the same time, I don't want to re-dye to get rid of the regrowth uh, sting. Um, and this might be a controversial statement, but again, I, I did watch wrestling back in the early to mid nineties because I wasn't alive. I've never understood the hype behind Lex Luger. There is no hype behind Lex Luger. There is, there is no. <laughs> Most of us didn't really enjoy his work. He, he's okay. Fact, there's only one. No, there's only one man that thought there was hype behind Lex Luger, and that man is Vince McMahon because everyone else knew that that wasn't the case. <laughs> but even like, Vince oh, no, gave no. up on that pretty quick too. Though <laughs> after about six months, he was like, "What have I done?" But like, yeah, I don't know. Like, everyone, like it just like the crowd just went absolutely bonkers for him whenever he'd do something. I'm like, oh, I, I know that was just a bunch of hicks that don't know what left for right is. Mm. I mean, they know what right is, trust me. But, <laughs> but, like, but like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I just I've never understood the hype behind Lex Luger as I guess as a wrestling fan. Like, I just don't see it. I never have. He was look. They called him the total package. He almost had everything. Like, he was okay at everything. He was pretty athletic, pretty strong, pretty fast, okay at technical wrestling. He almost was the total package. Not the best (laughs) promo, but decent. In 97, though, if you keep watching these shows, Owen, Lex Luger, for some reason, gets so popular in 97, just torture-racking people. He would do his weird, like, chicken dance (laughs) torture-rack taunt. And you'll see 30,000 people lose their minds just because he was going to hold a guy over his shoulder. But yeah, it was wild. And we're actually oh, talking, man. we're talking to the level where in the, in the WWF, when The Rock would go to take the elbow pad off, yeah, that's how bonkers no, yeah, right. right. I'll, I'll keep, I'll have to keep watching because yeah, I'm just, I'm just perplexed by him. This I, I watched it back and I still don't understand it. Yeah, it's just an this, unexplainable this, thing. Now, I, you can understand why that happens to The Rock. Like, that makes perfect sense. The man has so much charisma. Why that happens to Lex Luger, I have zero idea. He has no charisma. Look He's at him give nothing. the... Did you notice when he was giving the crowd high fives? This wasn't a one-off. It's always how he does it. He gives high fives, and the look on his face is, I don't know why I'm here or why I'm doing this. Like, yeah. he looks like he hates it. Don't give he, him fives if you don't want to, Lex. Yeah, he he gives he gives high fives like people give high fives in twenty twenty coronavirus time. Like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> he just gives elbows instead. Yeah. Um, can I just say, Hall and Nash are the coolest guys ever. Yes, I've so always cool. said that anyway. So cool. But them doing rock paper scissors to see who, to see who starts the match popped me more than anything on the show. Oh yeah, that's an old click gimmick. They used to do it. Any variation in WWE, they used to do it too. If it was Sean and Razor or Diesel and Sean or whoever, they would do paper scissors rock. So funny. good. I pop big for it. This is one of those things too, on where indirectly, this is why WWF is often remembered more fondly during that era than WCW, because even in a match with two guys, Lex Luger and Sting, as we said, both two poster boys of WCW, they look like dweebs compared to Hall and Nash. I literally said this. I'm like, Luger may be shredded, but Nash makes him look so small. Yeah. They look like such jabronis standing next to Hall and Nash. <laughs> Like, Hall is a big guy, though. Hall uh, next to Lex Luger. He's as big as him. And the the thing is, too, like, I even put the note down here. You never get sick of Nash getting his hair out of his eyes. (laughs) Like, it's just such... I I have a note that will probably pop you, but also quite related to that. I've just written, Scott Hall is like a jacked version of Kaniki from Greece. (laughs) (laughs) 
that greasy hair, he would have fit in with the T-Birds for sure. And he, he kind of looks like him anyway as well. It's like, you could, you could, you, you could like be doing, you could look like a 40 year old who's in high school. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> this, this match follows another great WCW trope, which is essentially beat the hell out of Sting while his partner is on the other end of the ring able to do nothing <laughs> oh I, literally my next note there is the luger hot tag is the mon- most monstrous pop of the night yeah like oh when they when he hit that hot tag the crowd exploded and that's what um, it is also, unexplainable why all he did was hit a few clotheslines but man when it's lex luger doing it people love it but then like but then like the equivalent but then like so Sting hits Sting hits the hot tag, but then he does a stinger splash in the other corner. It's mm-hmm. the most over the top stinger splash I've ever seen. He nearly clears the ring post. Well was, and another thing too with with Sting, when Sting does the scoop slam on Nash, like oh, yeah. just like you forget oh that's right, Sting is a really, really jacked dude. Like this is <laughs> broke into the business with the ultimate warrior. <laughs> like yeah, Sting was a power guy, especially early on. He'd be like doing press slams and he was, you know, mm. like, oh my God, he's throwing Ric Flair around. It was good when he would still, yeah, still play that up. Now, but um, I, I want to say on. something because I'm, I'm saying we're near the end of the match. The finish was great, but it was a hot mess. Um, and the ref falling and taking out Luger's leg was just the drizzling poos. It was just... <laughs> And and the worst acting I've ever seen in my life from a referee. No, see, see, this is something that we had to get used to as WCW fans and then, like, early invasion in the WWE. Nick Patrick is the most hilarious overactor ever. <laughs> everything he does is just totally, like... It's obscene. Oh, yeah, everything is overblown. The, um, the, the, the idea for the finish was great, but him like like just grabbing his eye like some like someone pulled out of its socket, a la Ray Mysterio <laughs> last week, um, was just the funny. And then, but then like the way he fell, he just like dove and like punched Luger's leg. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Well, see here, look, spoiler spoiler alert. Twenty five years ahead, I know I shouldn't do it. I want people to follow us along, but Owen, the, here's what we didn't know watching it. Nick Patrick did it on purpose. He ends up joining the NWO. He, yeah, he's the, the crooked chop block NWO is ref. on purpose. Are you at? Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Really? So, so you oh. watch it and you think, oh, that was so phony. Like he, would per- like he would accidentally hit his leg. No, it wasn't an accident. He chop blocked him because Nick Patrick was always the dirty ref. Hmm. But he did okay. the fast count, the fast count as well. That's vintage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they did a okay. good job though of making it look like was it just a shitty, like a crappy okay. referee performance? Yeah. See, hmm. that's why I'm watching these. Is like I guess as a new fan because again I didn't watch them, so now it all makes sense now. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so some shades of uh, future storytelling there with Nick Patrick. Mm. Uh, with the fast count there. And is this before or after Little Nate? I need to know. Is this has Charles Robinson this joined WWE well, yet? This is a lot. This is much, much before Little Nate because Little Nate sort of arrived um, in the in the latter days of uh, the NWO. He wasn't on this show, was he? No, no, no. 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 Charles Robinson sort of comes into the same era where Ric Flair ends up in uh, like a mental in a, in a mental asylum. Yes, which is a storyline that happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, look, uh, Nick Patrick fast count ends the match, and then we get to the main event, which is, of course, leads to my favourite WCW trope, 
of um, of Michael Buffer reading off cue cards for the main event. I don't I understand. The same, I had the same thing. Michael Buffer <laughs> reading cue cards is always funny because he doesn't know the stories. It's great. Like, I literally, I, I, I've never understood a Michael Buffer like in wrestling. Like, look, the Let's Get Ready to Rumble is really cool and the crowd went off for it. But I'm like, I don't understand. This is the same man. I I think it's the same. There's one of his most famous introductions is referring to Brett the Hitman (laughs) Clark. (laughs) Which is always good. But uh, look... Isn't we get Brett the... Clark like the accountant at your work, Nims? He's <laughs> <laughs> <It's> an accountant. <laughs> but, um, can I just say something? Um, oh, yeah, it was, a, it was during the Bruce Buffer intro. He goes, wearing black instead of his, his customary and traditional red and yellow. Oh, I thought that was incredible. Mm. That Is was the kind the... of detail you get from Buffer. But remember, too, this is an era where Hulk Hogan in anything but red and yellow is just completely off-brand. And uh, he's also got a killer tan here. <laughs> oh, he's Hogan? so, leather- he's so Hogan. leathery. Hogan has dialed up that tanning bed. He, he is the equivalent of uh, one of those hotel buffet breakfasts, the bit of bacon that just no one eats and just been going round and round. <laughs> <laughs> he's leathery. Say, he, he, he looks like a Louis Vuitton handbag. He's that leathery, but man, that's way better. <laughs> But um, but look at this. Um, Hogan, I've, I've, my first note is just says this. This ain't AJ Styles versus Brock Lesnar at Survivor Series 2018. We'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. this was small man, big man, but there was no no entertainment. Oh, but this is the how over was Hulk Hogan though? Like the crowd were the... not buying him as a bad guy. They loved Hulk Hogan oh, still. No. But Hollywood Hogan is the best Hogan. He always has been the best Hogan. Mm. He, he really is. But like, uh, but clearly, obviously, because these guys... Are, oh, well, this is something that we completely forgot to mention. The poster for Hogwild 1996 has Hogan in red and yellow. In red and yellow, yeah. Mm. So, and clearly, I'm guessing that the bikers that were, were there weren't exactly regular viewers of Monday Nitro. So they obviously saw, hey, look, Hogan, he's, he's worn out colours. Thanks, man. Great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they might have thought Hogan was just playing to the biker crowd. He's, dra- he's cosplaying as a, as a biker, yeah. As a, as a Sturgis National. But, um, <laughs> yeah, look, this, this, this really, really is not a good match. It's rest hold central. Yeah, it might not be a good match, but you can't say that Hulk Hogan's performance isn't good at working mm. the crowd. But then again, yeah, you yeah. could say, come on, Hulk, you're meant to be the bad guy, but the crowd just loves him. Yeah. My note that's adjacent to those thoughts, Nims, is it's, it's such a Hogan match, so slow yeah. pace and it builds forever, but the payoff is what matters. Yeah, but this is something else that's really, really stupid to me as well. Why does the giant Hulk up? I wrote, oh, that- were they trying to make that a thing? They were trying to pass on the Hulk up to Giant. And I've happen. written, the Giant hulking up looks like he's having an epileptic fit. He was yeah. just flailing his arms around the ring. I don't know what's going on. Um, but also, the, the skullet was looking as, as beautiful as ever in this match. Mm. It was looking good. Extra Hogan. contrast between the bleach and the tan. 
Yeah. Hogan Hogan also looks like an action figure that's just like been left in the rain because he sweats so much. Oh, like, he was oily. He, he was so he's, oily and greasy. But at this stage in his career, he's just sweating oil and like coconut oil. It's so good. <laughs> Some reef tanning oil going old school. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what about the pop for Hogan winning though? Like with that crazy finish with the interference, man, that was loud. They loved it. Oh, this is also the worst interference ever. I mean, <laughs> Hall basically he gets a boarding pass to get on top of that turnbuckle. Like he's waiting there for that long. Ah! <laughs> like literally, it's just like like he just saunters. He it's not a run in; it's a walk in. And he gingerly climbs up. Meanwhile, Kevin Nash is like, hang on, I've done my work for the day, but I'll just get involved anyway. <laughs> it's the worst, it's worst running ever. <laughs> how good. Like, I, I'm a big fan of, of belt shots in wrestling. Mm-hmm. But that belt shot to win the title was just beautiful. Yeah, that was well, quality. He really nailed him with it. It was oh, good. Yeah. He clearly did because the giant is knocked out for the rest of the pay-per-view. <laughs> You've got Brutus Beefcake just stepping all over him. Yeah, I mean, to the point that literally when Hogan is doing his promo, Giant is just literally still laying flat back <laughs> in the middle of the ring. Everything that's happening is still being done when the Giant is uh, laid out after that belt shot. But uh, look, yeah, Hulk Hogan wins the match. Hollywood Hulk Hogan wins the match in the darkest day of WCW's history, brother. Uh, <laughs> with the with the the very prestigious World Heavyweight Championship going to the hands of the NWO, and then, as you mentioned, Owen, out comes Brutus the Barber Booty Man Beefcake here with a cake because it's Hulk Hogan's birthday. Was it actually? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I Incredible. looked it up. That was his birthday. He won the world title on his birthday. Oh, that's cute. It- it's so strange because then that leads us to the post-match promo, which I forgot. Compl- I completely forgot happened because in every time you see any snippets of Hogwild replayed, they always seem to go, you know what, don't worry about the post-match. Just get to the bit where they spread the title. Yeah, I, I honestly, when I saw at the end of the WWE Network where it said there was 10 minutes left, I thought, what on earth do they do for what 10 is- minutes? Literally. I had no recollection of this. It was Which wild. means also that the big show is lying on his back <laughs> looking at the lights for 10 plus minutes. Also, yeah. how good how good was Brutus Barber, how good was Brutus's face when Hogan kisses him on his cheek? He's just like what? <laughs> He's been waiting 20 years for that. Like <laughs> just sealed the deal, got him a cake, got a kiss. They're best friends. Um isn't it weird that like they beat up the booty man, but then he joins the NWA NWO later anyway as the disciple? As the disciple, yeah. Well, here's the other weird thing too. Like, and this is doubling back to the Ric Flair vignette because I think it was like less than maybe a, just a week later they uh, they had another event, the Clash of Champions, mm. where it was Hogan versus Ric Flair. And the entire promo after post-match is to set up that match with Flair to say that um, Hogan goes and says, you showed, your, you showed your colors, brother, by caring for Aaron Anderson. By him decimating the booty man, which is, is brilliant in a setup because obviously uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake comes out. I'm not calling him the booty man. He's always Brutus <laughs> the Barber Beefcake. Brutus has gone to the effort to get an NWO 
uh, merchandise. He comes out with a cake and the spray paint. So this has clearly been discussed. But the part that hasn't been discussed is Hall and Nash beating up the booty man because it takes Hogan to go up to Nash and whisper in his ear. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So Hogan (laughs) was just like, yeah, Brutus is going to bring me out a cake and then on the spot told the other guys. It's weird. And then does a very, you know, Danger Mouse-esque get em boys. Get em boys. <laughs> yeah, but nah, Hogan as an over-the-top cartoon villain is very fun. Hollywood Hogan's mm. great. One thing I didn't notice, though, he says it twice. Hogan was trying to get this over as a catchphrase. Yo, 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 the NWO is the way to go. He says that twice. I think mm. he thought that was going to be the catchphrase for the NWO. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a no from me, thanks, Hulk. Uh, the big gold belt knocks out the booty man. So, obviously, I'm guessing that uh, Brutus, he recovered a lot better than uh, the giant did, who was still in the ring as the spray paint was going onto the belt. And, I've heard um, reports that the giant is actually still laying there in the <laughs> just right now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it is WCW's darkest day here. And we head back to the commentary team that still look as ridiculous as they did at the start of the broadcast and they do the wrap-up. And then, Owen, what did you think of the credits? Oh, the, the, um, these are the same credits as, um, as like every 80s sitcom ever, yeah? Like, who's the boss, yeah? Yeah. I was expecting Tony Dan to go, oh, just like, just like rock up and mm. read the credits. Yeah, the WCW tradition follows of having the credits roll at the end of the pay-per-view. Uh, one note that I didn't actually pick up from the credits was that Doug Dillinger was actually in charge of security. Oh, that's weird, because he would always be on TV as head of security. Yeah, that was a real job. Okay, That's actually a real oh. job, so there you go. But uh, look, that ra- next thing you know, they'll, they'll be telling us that Jack Tunney was actually president of the <laughs> World Wrestling Federation. But, the, but that wrapped up uh, Hogwild 1996, the first pay-per-view uh, under NWO rule. Let's go around the room. Owen, we'll start off with you. What did you think of this one? I actually really liked it. Okay, who do you think was the best performer? That's something we like picking uh, when we watch these back. Who was the MVP of this show? It'll be, it'll be like a three-way race between Malenko, Guerrero, and Harlem Heat. Nice. Yeah. I'd yeah, probably go Harlem Heat. I'd, I'd have to second you with Harlem Heat there because... Uh, like the hand that they were dealt being... Not yeah, the greatest it's, hand to be dealt, but they, they, they were amazing. And like, they're brilliant wrestlers anyway. So it just mm. like fueled their fire even more. Uh, what did you think of the, this? This is the first baby. We didn't actually realize from now on how much the NWO would run roughshod too after this. And Hogan would have a vice-like grip on that belt along with the NWO. Well, didn't he hold it for like a year and a half? Even was- when he loses it, he pretty much mm. holds it for two years. Yeah. Okay. Maybe yeah, longer. It just it's come- wild. He comes straight back to... I was going to say he, he keeps it till Starcade. 97 but then i remembered on a nitro episode he loses it to lex luger yeah because that's uh, how over luger was they yeah. gave him a he was the first guy to beat hogan for the belt yeah uh which which is so strange but we'll get to that part obviously but yeah look simon what do you think of the the first pay-per-view of the nwo world heavyweight championship like i said i had to watch it in parts i didn't enjoy it i watched this a few years ago and i just couldn't enjoy the whole show there were some highlights though for me, the MVP might be Harlem Heat as well. Just they mm-hmm. put on a great performance, great tag match, and just leaning into the crowd, hating them. Yeah, they were awesome. Booker T and Stevie Ray killed it. 
I got to say, this falls into the exact same trope as the previous WCW pay-per-view did, where a very, very, very crappy undercard, something that's definitely not going to be talked about for ages, but it ends with a massive moment that will be replayed for ages and ages. It's kind of the... Um, a good way to describe it would sort of be WrestleMania 6 ish in the sense that everyone remembers Hogan versus uh, Hogan versus um, uh, Warrior and that's it (laughs) like everything else is overshadowed yeah okay well if we're going to compare it Hogwild versus International Incident what would you say Nims this is a definite clean sweep to International Incident International Incident (laughs) makes you want more Whereas Hogwild 96 goes on, damn it, there's still more. Wow, yeah. I I thought you might be swayed to this because there may have been a bit more consistency in good matches. But to me, International Incident, it was two hours, as we said, two hours of high-flying, action-packed, whatever the tagline was, easier to watch. Mm. This was a a bit of a a drag. I thought the Harley ran out of fuel by the end of this paper. (laughs) As did the naming rights, uh, because as of uh, the following year, it becomes Road Wild. Yeah, they didn't clear using Hog from Harley. So funny. (laughs) But uh, look, this has been another big edition of uh, Reliving the War. Owen, we want to thank you for jumping on board. If anyone wants to follow you on social media, you can do so. Digital underscore underscore beard on Twitter. That's right. Two underscores. And one one underscore on uh, Instagram. Obviously, we're in lockdown, but uh, once we do get out and about, if you are interested in getting any, you know, portfolio work done or photos, be you a wrestler, a wrestler, a band, or hell, you just want something to look good for some headshots, get in touch with Digital Beard Photography. You can find them on Facebook, Digital Beard Photo at Hotmail. If you want to sign up and book in something, you've got six weeks to come up with something. So I'm sure you can flood the inbox at some point in time. I must say, boys, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, it was very enjoyable. If you want me on for the next WCW episode, <laughs> I'm just looking at the card. I might be a guy. But I yeah. don't know. It was, it, was, it was lots of fun. I mean, the nasty boys on that card. So there you go. But um, no, it was heaps of fun. Um, I've had Simon on my show. Now, Nims, we're going to have to do an episode of Less Than Jake or No Effects on my show. Oh, very, so, very nice. I'm happy to have you on as, as Return the Favour. It was good to have the three amigos back together again. Oh, it certainly was. And uh, a big thank you again to our great mates at greywolfentertainment.net. Ned's, Ned's going to be very, very annoyed that you paid out Mike Tanay once more. But uh, look, that's, <laughs> we've, got, we've got a lot of WCW pay-per-view. So unfortunately, defend him. Defend him, Nettie. But uh, remember too, with this festival of football that is going on at the moment with 20, 20 games, well, 20 days of 30-odd games, Greywolf Footy has got you covered. The Madman, Matty Grace, and John Fitzgerald doing some great work there. You can check all that out. Greywolfentertainment.net. But I have been Nimzo. It's been an absolute pleasure. Simon, our next pay-per-view is, of course, a WWF one, and it's the WrestleMania of the summer. SummerSlam 96. I'm excited. Thank God. It's going to be a palate cleanser. Even if the card sucks, the double main event is better than anything on this show, and I'm so excited. Mankind and The Undertaker in the Boiler Room Brawl, and then Vader versus Shawn Michaels smokes anything on this show. I don't even have to watch it again oh, to tell you that. Man. And I can't wait because it's going to be awesome. That main event's so good. Yeah, I love that be, match. I like that you call it a palate cleanser, but yeah, this has been <laughs> reliving this. This has been reliving the war. Make sure you follow the Grey Wolf Entertainment socials, Grey Wolf ENT, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter at 
Doc Nims. You can follow Simon on Twitter as well, at Simon Tackler. And as Owen mentioned too, you can follow him on Twitter, at digital underscore underscore beard, or on the gram, at digital underscore beard. We'll see you next time on Reliving the War. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.